Welcome to the Rachel's English Podcast. I'm so glad you're listening. Today, I'm sitting down with my husband, David, and we're just talking about regular old life things. And as we discuss what's going on with us, we'll pick out the phrasal verbs, the idioms, and any interesting vocabulary that comes up, and we'll discuss them. If you need help understanding what's being said, you can get a free copy of the transcript. Just visit rachelsenglish.com slash podcast and look for this episode. David, so glad to have you here with me today. It's good to be here. Going to ask you some questions, going to just see what phrasal verbs, idioms, interesting vocabulary pop up as we have an everyday casual conversation. Let's do it. Okay, let me start by asking you a question. Okay. Can you describe the most challenging job you've ever had? Wow, that's a place to start. Yep. So challenging and rewarding often go hand in hand. That's certainly the case for me um, with this job. This was working at a high school in North Philadelphia. And uh, that area of the city is really economically depressed. Um, there's a lot What does that of, mean, economically depressed? Uh, means that the median income would be at the low end of the spectrum. Does it say anything about job opportunity as well, would you say? Absolutely. Absolutely. In the sense that there are few good jobs readily available mm -hmm. in that area. Um, it's an area that is tends to be violent, that has uh, some drug activity in it. And so working in a high school in that area meant um, working with kids who were really survivors, kids who had... Um, a lot of challenges in front of them. Uh, they were absolutely inspiring. They, you know, on a daily basis, a daily basis challenged me to think about what I was doing with my life. Um, and so it was extremely challenging. They, you know, it's a hard place to live. And so... What did you do there? So I was, um, my title was social worker. So it was a mix of meeting with individual kids, uh, supporting staff and teachers in their work. And uh, we did some some groups with kids. Um, so a whole mix of counseling-related things. Yeah, really, really tough, but good work. Mm-hmm, right. What I was... But, 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 uh, uh, <laughs> I was always proud of you for doing that. Mm, I always thanks. felt really proud to tell people what you did. Thanks. Yeah, and I felt proud of it, too. So the preposition that you can use with proud is of. I'm proud of you. He's proud of me. I just want you to be proud of me. So keep that in mind when you're using proud. Okay. And Rachel, what would you say? The most challenging job you ever had? Mm. Well, I've had such a weird collection of odd jobs because I went to graduate school for opera singing, which meant I didn't come out of graduate school with a full-time job. You know, I had, as an artist, I think a lot of artists are in a situation where they are doing work unrelated to what they studied and what they're really passionate about in order to make the money. So I did get paid to sing, but it was never enough to live on. I had gigs here and there, but I always had to have other jobs. And you're always looking for really flexible jobs, you know, a job that you can quit right away if you get a singing job that's not that important. So as a singer, I think I've had 
a collection of some interesting odd jobs. I would say the most challenging job I ever had was as a tutor. And it was, you know, like you've said, challenging often goes hand in hand with reward. It's hard, but it's the good kind of hard. And in this particular case, I was a tutor for a family. And um, I worked mostly with their daughter. And I really liked her. She had an affinity for math. And so do I. So that was really fun. But any time that you are, you know, working for a family in that kind of situation, you are really kind of intimately in the family's space. And, you know, I worked at their house every day in their dining room or in their kitchen. And I just, you know, one of the very first times I was there, it might have been my first week, the mom had an event that evening and I was supposed to cook us dinner and, you know, she had everything laid out and the fire alarm went off. I totally burnt like the tortilla or whatever I was trying to heat up and uh, their system was hooked up to call the fire department. They showed up. And, you know, they notified her phone and she called me and she's like, what's happening? And I was like, I burned a tortilla. (laughs) Um, But it was totally embarrassing. But yeah, it's just, you know, it was it was awesome and I loved it. But you're also there in that in that family dynamic and just kind of trying to figure out, you know, how, how to work within that dynamic when you're totally not a family member. So I would say that was that was challenging. Um. Having said that, they were an amazing family, just some of the most generous people you'll you'll ever meet. Um, and I had a great time getting to know their daughter. And I actually think I tutored her for three or four years. It was quite a long time. And um, yeah, it was really fun. You just used an interesting little connector phrase, having said that. Mm, yeah. Can you talk about that one? Yeah. So you say that when you've just made a statement. And then you want to make a statement that's just a little bit contradictory. Mm -hmm. Like, I I forget what exactly I was saying, but it might have been something like, it's hard understanding someone else's family dynamic. Having said that, they were a great family. So, you know, obviously, how hard is it when it's a great family? But yes, having said that is a way to make a statement that somewhat contradicts or could be seen as contradictory to something you've just said. Uh, qualifies what you just said or mm-hmm. clarifies what you just said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also th- another way to do that little, what do you call it, transition would be to say that said. Yeah, right. People also say that. Yeah, exact same meaning used to clarify something you've just said. So let's go to another question. Okay. What is something that makes you really nervous? Mm. Well, this is interesting because we just talked about jobs. And mm-hmm. I think one thing that makes me really nervous is quitting a job. And like I said, I've had a lot of odd jobs in my life and I've had to quit a lot of them. And uh, it always, yeah, it's always made me nervous. Like, I feel like I'm letting someone down, even when it's a job that's not very important. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So telling someone that I'm going to quit whatever they are having me do, I would say, is one of the things that makes me the most nervous, gives me the most anxiety. So you wake up in the morning and you know that later in the day you're going to have to tell your boss, hey, I'm, I'm no longer going to be working for you. That makes you really nervous. Oh, it makes me nervous for like the whole week, two weeks, oh, okay. whatever. Mm-hmm. 
as soon as I know that I'm likely going to be leaving a job, that dread starts to happen mm-hmm. in the pit of my stomach. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you forget about it. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, there it is. I have to quit my job. I have to have that conversation. Did I say in the pit of my stomach? You did. And I was okay. thinking the same thing. Yeah. What is that? I mean, well, don't you think you physically feel something when you are, when you're feeling dread? I mean, I would describe it. No, I get, I, I agree. You have this sinking feeling mm-hmm. in your stomach, but the pit of your stomach is mm. interesting. I guess it's at the bottom. Maybe yeah, that, that it, feeling yeah. emanates from the bottom of our stomach. It's just, it's getting way down in there. If you feel something in the pit of your stomach, it's, it's not a good thing. It's really, it's an ominous, it's foreboding. You feel horrible about it, nervous mm-hmm. about it, anxious about it. And actually, you used another phrase, sinking feeling. I have a sinking feeling. This is, again, what we would say when I'm pretty sure things are going wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two great ways to talk about the, that feeling because, you know, it's an emotional thought. It's a feeling. But then we do physically feel something. When you have a sinking feeling, you might feel something pressing down on your chest. Or when, you f- when you're dreading something, you feel something in your stomach. You might have a stomach ache. You feel it in the pit. I mean... It's something your mind is experiencing, but your body experiences it too. And actually, in my world, we know to talk with people about the fact that it's actually the opposite. Your body feels a feeling almost always or often before your mind labels it and before your brain identifies it as a feeling of dread. So you have the physical experience of the pit in your stomach. You have the physical sensation of that sinking feeling that actually, if you could do a time-lapse camera of your brain and nervous system, the bodily feeling is a split second even before the emotion, because the emotion involves some, some higher level brain activity. I totally would have guessed the opposite. Right. And it's, it's, um, it's good to coach people on that because it's this idea that if you, get used to paying attention to your bodily sensations. If you can tune in, they actually can tell you a lot about how you're, quote, feeling. Mm, Tune in. So that means really pay attention to something, focus on something. Right. Mm -hmm. And it would also, I mean, I'm I'm guessing it comes from like radio days where you would turn the dial just so in order to pick up a certain radio signal. In that case, you would be tuning in. Right. Yeah. David, what's something that makes you really nervous? So something that makes me nervous is what's related to speaking in front of people, but it's not the actual time when I'm up front. It's interesting because once I'm up there, I'm great. I actually love uh, doing trainings and talking to groups of people, but the moments that are leading up to that, um, especially the night before, I tend to not sleep well. It's a it's a similar feeling to if we're going on a on a trip, a big trip the next day. It's like this just slightly nervous, anxious um, feeling where I just I don't sleep well. My brain keeps like waking me up in the middle of the night, going, "Wait, are you late? Wait, are you late? You're probably late." Um, so I'll wake up a bunch of times that night, and and it's for no reason. I don't have anything to be nervous about, but I'm nervous. Mm. So it's funny because it's something you love, yet you get nervous thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. 
Okay, let's talk personality. In American English, we have two different terms to describe two different kinds of personalities, an introvert and an extrovert. How would you define these two words, David? Yeah, so these words have become very much have bled into popular culture, and I think that they are used a lot of different ways, and I think often used slightly wrongly, but my definition is that someone is an introvert if when they need to recharge or regroup, yeah, center recharge. themselves. What does this mean? Recharge. Yeah. That's what, what you do to your phone. <laughs> yeah, right. You recharge Plug your it phone. In. Charge your phone. You know, when someone needs to um, rest and feel energized or what Collect would you themselves. Say? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe figure out what's important to them. Um, the, an introvert is someone who does that by themselves. Could you also say it's what makes someone feel at ease? An introvert feels at ease. Yeah, I think that that's part of it. By themselves. I think that's part of it, though. It, I think it does really get at this idea of where do you gain energy? Mm-hmm. Where, yeah. do you, where do you get your energy level back up? Yes, I agree. So that's an introvert. And then an extrovert is the opposite, where if someone is um, not feeling focused or they're feeling worn down, Instead of going and having time by themselves, they would go and seek out other people and through conversation and connection with other people, they would recharge and their energy would go back Mm -hmm. up. Before we keep going, I just want to throw one thing out there. You said that these are terms that have bled into popular culture. And I just wanted to talk about using bleed in there. So bleed is like blood when you cut yourself. But we also use it um, when a, what might have been a clearly defined line has has been has become less clear. Um, like these terms, what are they? Are they psychology terms or what? Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then, but now everyone's using them, so we can say, okay, that's not just separate from popular culture. Now it's bled into popular culture and popular culture has started using these terms a lot too. Right. Initially, they would have been used by clinicians to describe psychological phenomenon, but now they're used by lots of people. They've bled into popular culture. Okay, great. Thanks for clarifying the definition of that. No problem. So David, are you an introvert or an extrovert? So I am an extrovert. It means that, yeah, for me, if I am feeling stressed or I have a big decision to make or I'm feeling worn down. I know that it's really important for me to seek out connection with other people, to get people's opinions, to get feedback, to bounce ideas off of someone. Oh, I like that phrase. That's a good one. I thought you might. Mm -hmm. When you bounce an idea off somebody, you tell them what you're thinking and get their take on it. You put it out there and see which way it bounces. So you put out an idea, maybe they think it's crazy. And so it it bounces sideways, or they think it's, oh, you know what, that's a really good idea, and it bounces true. Oh, I like it. So I'm an extrovert. What about you? Well, you know I'm an introvert. I do. <laughs> yeah. it. You know, I 100% would have described myself as an extrovert probably until like college or after. I didn't realize that I was an introvert. Well, I have a theory about that, but go ahead. Well, and it's funny because I remember in high school feeling kind of bad when I didn't want to hang out with one of my friends. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm a bad friend. I felt like a bad friend. Yeah. 
And now in retrospect, I'm like, oh, I was I was an introvert. That's what it was. I wasn't a bad friend. I was actually a pretty great friend in general. Yeah. But I was an introvert and one of my good friends was an extrovert. And I think that, you know, neither of us got what was happening there. And what I was going to say is that this is exactly what I meant about the terms being used incorrectly. Because I think part of what you're describing, uh, part of why you, you were confused that you're an introvert is because you're a highly social introvert. You do enjoy people. You like talking to lots of different people. But that's not where you recharge and get your energy. Right. Oh, man, I love my me time. Yeah. Just by myself. You know, I work alone from home. I have my office upstairs. And often when I'm talking talking with people about what I do, they'll say, oh, you know, don't you want to go out and see people? And I'm like, no, I absolutely do not want to go out and see people. Right. I used to rent an office desk at a co-working space, and I never went because I never felt drawn to the space. I mean, I think a lot of co-working spaces exist because there are so many people freelancing and working on their own, and it's a way to bring them together, and they feel this community and this you know, camaraderie with other people around. And I'd just rather be up in my office doing my thing. That's right. <laughs> co-working, that's a term that's, pretty new, wouldn't you say, David? I mean, I don't think I ever heard that word before five years ago. And basically it means um, working next to somebody. So it's not someone you work with. It's not a coworker, but it's someone that you're working next to. Likely you are an independent person working on your own project and you go to a space where you can co-work with other people, do your thing next to other people doing their thing. Mm-hmm. It's really quite the rage now, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think it's extremely popular. There are places opening up all over Philly that are co-working spaces. Packed full of extroverts. Yeah. I went to one once and I was working at this big table with other people and, and there were two people training somebody on like Microsoft Word or something and I was just like, this is why I am not ever coming to this space again. <laughs> I do not need to hear someone being trained on Microsoft Word when I'm trying to come up with awesome English ideas. So anyway. Right. Coworking. Some people love it, but it's not for everyone. All right. So I have a question for you. What do you think is something that I do well? Oh, this is fun. David, there are so many things you do well. Oh, that's sweet. Hmm. Uh, The thing I'm thinking of, I think it's fun to think of something that I don't do well. Like, have that contrast. Mm. You do it so well, and I do it horribly. Mm -hmm. And that is, you have such a green thumb. Mm -hmm. David does the most amazing job with our houseplants. I mean... They thrive. They look so good. We have this jade that's probably a yard across, mm-hmm. three feet. Um, and you grew that from something that was like two inches big, right? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. We also have this cactus that's probably five or six feet tall now. And it's just, it's fun because people will walk into our house and they'll be like, oh my God. Right. That's the biggest jade I've ever seen. Right. 
Or my friend Hillary was just like, couldn't get over the cactus. So David, you know, cut her a piece. And last time we were at her apartment, it was like doing pretty well. Yeah. Hers is looking good too. Yeah. So I think I love that about you because I love having plants around and having them in the house. I think they add so much to the beauty of a home. Um, But I just, I can't do it. (laughs) I just cannot keep plants alive. So that's actually, that's. David is the definition of green thumb. So if someone has a green thumb or is a green thumb, then it means that they're they're really good with plants. And, you know, not everyone has a green thumb. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It's a lot of fun for me. There's something very uh, therapeutic and just it feels good to pay attention to the plants and have them look nice. I don't know if this is true, but someone shared on Facebook recently that there are microbes in soil that they believe can like help lift your spirits. I'll go there. All right. Sure. Why not? So there might be a, it might not just be about the process of doing something, of tending to something. There might literally be something in soil that can affect your mood. I don't know. Hmm. All right. Well, David, what is something that you think I do well? Yeah. Well, you two do an incredible amount of things well. Um, But the first thing that came to mind for me was how good of a mother you are. Aw, thank you. Yeah, you are an incredibly attentive mother, but you're also so great at being goofy. Um, Stoney loves music, all things musical, and he loves when you make up stupid songs about inane life situations which is all the time which is a lot let's define inane that's a bit of a tricky word it is uh inane uh commonplace not important run of the mill Mm -hmm. basic kind of similar to mundane mundane i wonder what's the difference between inane and mundane so mundane is like dull boring inane is more silly or stupid Mm -hmm. And you're saying, I can take silly and stupid things and make a song about them. Yes, I can. (laughs) Or you can make up. I think what you can do is you tend to make up inane songs about mundane life events. Oh, there we go. I like it. I do often make up inane songs. (laughs) All right. Next topic. This is inane. This is getting inane. Bordering on asinine. Oh, define asinine, please. Mm, That really takes it up to just stupid. It goes from silly to stupid. Yeah. Okay, David, new question. What were some of the great things about your childhood? Oh, so many great things. Uh, I feel like I had a very, I was very lucky to have such a great childhood. Um, The first thing that I think about is, is my family. I have three older sisters and they're the best. They are a good bit older than me and not only are they incredible people who have shaped me and helped me become who I am, but they also all married incredible people who are my brothers-in-law, but who I've known for so long that they're just like siblings to me as well. So growing up in a house full of older siblings was just, I think, the number one best thing about my childhood. Though they weren't around really, right? I mean... You said growing up in a house full of. Audrey would have been in college by the time you were two. It's true, but she went to college locally. She was still around. And we 
are all very close and have been. And so at the very least holidays and whenever there was a free chance, we would see each other. Um, but my youngest sister, I was, she was 10. So, you know, until I was eight, she was living at home and that yeah. was pretty, pretty wonderful. There's a great picture of, she was in charge of you in the summers, right? Yeah. She has put you in her front bike basket. Right. (laughs) Which does not look safe at all. Yeah. We talk about that sometimes, how she was 12 or 13 and in charge of a two or three year old. And that was just pretty amazing. A lot of people now, nowadays, wouldn't do that. Yeah. Especially with her. Just kidding, Christina. (laughs) All right. So right back at you. So what were some of the great things about your childhood? Um. Again, lots of things. I'm very lucky. I had a very rich and full childhood. I'm going to say a a lot of what was great about it relates to where I grew up. I grew up in Florida, so we were close to beaches. We went to the beach a lot and springs. (laughs) David's laughing because Florida has all these great natural springs with little beaches and you can go to and just have an amazing day. And ever since we've been in Philly, I've been like, where are the springs? I just want to get out somewhere to some fresh water and I don't want to have to drive hours for it. And it's been pretty disappointing, I got to say. And I keep saying that that's the reason that I haven't told you about them is because they're not a thing here. Yeah. But you've probably come back to it five or 10 times like, well, but no, let's just look for the springs. Yeah. Every year I'm like, let's find some springs to go to. And David's (laughs) like, there are no springs in Philly. And I actually found one, but it was a bit of a drive and it was a private thing. You had to pay like $1,000 a year for it or something. Yeah. Not happening. Um, But so that's cool. And then also I grew up fairly close to Disney World, maybe about two hours. So we used to go down there quite a bit. We We wouldn't stay over usually. We would drive down and come back in the same day and we would, you know, bring sandwiches and do it as cheap as we could. But um, I spent a lot of birthdays at Disney. My parents took me there. My birthday is in November. So often we would do Disney for my birthday. And my brother's birthday is July. So we would go to a water park for his birthday. And it was just so fun. I, I don't know. I, I loved it. I, don't, I have no desire to live in Florida. It's way too hot for me now for too long. But it was a pretty majestic childhood. David, that was so fun. Thanks for sitting down and going through these questions with me. I love these. These are really fun. They really are. And I, you know, sometimes I think I'm so focused on what you're saying that I forget to pay attention to like phrasal verbs and stuff, but we do, we do catch some of them. So there is some educational value here after all. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you'd like a copy of the transcript, please visit rachelsenglish.com slash transcript. And if you're not subscribed to this podcast, please do so. You can do so at iTunes or also Stitcher. And if you're so inclined, please think about leaving a review. I read them and I love to hear what people think about the Rachel's English podcast. <laughs>